0: Welcome to episode two of the Common Good podcast. I'm Joy Pullman. Uh, your co host with me today is my husband, Nathaniel Pullman. He's the headmaster of Redeemer Classical School. And we also, in fact, have a, another guest who you may or may not hear. Her name is Vivian. She's three months old and she should be in bed right now, but she's not cooperating. So <laughs> today we're going to talk about something that our school board members are reading. Um, it is a uh, a uh, really important book written by uh, Dr. Ed Hirsch, and this episode is just going to introduce kind of who he is and some of his main ideas. Before we got into that, real quick, I just wanted to rem- uh, mention to podcast listeners the the topic of our last podcast um, was about the Indiana legislature and them thinking about kind of changing a school choice opportunity. So I'm really happy happy to report that the legislature. Decided not to completely cut um, that program that let parents kind of get a rebate on money they spent on private uh, education expenses They um, cut the potential funds for 2018 from a thousand a year down to 500 But next year in 2019, it's supposed to go back up to a thousand. So that's good news And with that, let's move on to our discussion um, of a fellow named Edie Hirsch So Nathaniel, how about you greet our podcast listeners so they know that you're actually here? Yes, I'm here. Uh, I am. (laughs) We're hanging out. Yeah, Uh,
1: I'm ready to talk about Edie Hirsch and his sort of life and ideas. And uh, he has a really fascinating take on some of the data coming out of K-12 education in the United States.
0: So, Dr. Hirsch, I'm just going to give kind of a a quick introduction to him. He's been a really important figure um, in American education. Since his bestseller came out, I believe, and it was 1988, it was in the late 80s. Um, and Dr. Hirsch, um, he's actually retired now. He's, I believe, in his 90s. But in the 1980s, he was kind of at the peak of his career. His field is um, educational psychology. So he's more on the psychologist side of things and um, very dedicated, uh, very scrupulous um, attention to the research about how human brains work. And so, one the important thing that he did that led to his huge bestseller, um, cult called Cultural Literacy, was kind of take together the cutting edge research done in the field of psychology and, and cognitive science, and start applying it to American education. And when he did that, he found that basically American public schools really there was a huge disconnect between what scientists, what doctors, uh, medical and psychological researchers. Had learned about how human brains work and the way that American public schools were teaching kids, and so um, his big insight was what he later started calling cultural literacy or core knowledge, and what that basically means was um, the the idea that let's see, I'm trying to think how to bring it down. The idea that basically we cannot have a culture or even a communication between people. Um, If we don't share really important core knowledge, background knowledge that ought to be common to all people of a culture. So, for example, one of the things that has been, you know, really important for just humans being able to communicate to each other is, is the Bible. If you don't know even what the Bible is, if I just say the Bible and you don't know what that is, there's a problem. Right. Because I should be able to just say that. And you at least have some kind of idea. This is the religious book for people who call themselves Christians. It, um, you know, is related to the Jews in some way. Um, it kind of, you know, it, people think that it, you know, tells them truths about living. And it's been, you know, incorporated into a lot of um, literature and a lot of uh, wars and a lot of history and so on and so forth. So if you, if when I say I should just be able to use the word Bible and people instantly know what I'm talking about. But when you have a breakdown of cultural literacy, people don't. They might have never heard of What the Bible is. Um, anyway, so that was his singular insight. And then when he applied it to schools, he found that there are a lot of kind of ideologies, um, that are really, they're still current today in American education that are anti, that are against teaching people the common basic knowledge that we need to function together as a society. And as a result, there's a lot of problems. And one of them is that, um, you know, the wealthy and middle class families, the gap between them and poorer and lower class families is big and growing. And public schools really don't do much to eliminate that because they don't you know, transmit common knowledge to kids. Um, and therefore, kids have to get whatever they can out of their family background. And for poor kids, obviously, that's a lot less. So Nathaniel's sitting here tapping his foot at me. I don't know what you want to say, babe, though. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> uh, I just wanted to back up and expand his idea of cultural literacy a little bit. Sure. Um, so he talks about cultural literacy in the sense that you just said which is the cultural aspect of it the other side of it that comes out more and when he talks about core knowledge is actually has uh, more to do with the way that you internally individually learn things so uh the again like joy said he's a psychologist sort of a, a psychologist research uh, guy and this he understands a lot of the research about the way that we learn and it turns out that this backs up what the ancients have been saying for thousands of years, which is to say uh, you need a body of knowledge to build on in order to gain more knowledge. To gain understanding of the world, you have to see things in the world. And this goes back as far as uh, Plato asking everybody what they meant by a thing, or Aristotle telling people to look at the world around them in order to start doing any variety of philosophy. And uh, he brings this into sort of a psychological terminology. But the takeaway is that if you don't have a basis of knowledge, a basis of facts, a basis of observation about the world about the world and the way it works, you really have no way to build more knowledge. So there is mm-hmm. no such thing as learning a skill in absence of knowledge, a body of knowledge. Mm-hmm. You can't just learn, say, as some people think, how to memorize without right. actually having a body of knowledge that you remember and memorize, right? right, and so.
0: So in other words, skills and content are inextricably linked. You don't learn a skill without having content right. or, ma- I think, I, I the tagline I like to use is you can't build a house without any materials.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: you can't read a book or have a conversation if you don't have some prior knowledge about the subjects that you want to discuss or learn about.
1: And so, and then he goes to apply this in his second major book, The Schools We Need, which is the book we're gonna be talking about um in future podcasts, uh, he applies it in both ways, really. He says, one, by not teaching kids knowledge at all, by just trying to teach them critical thinking in absence of things to think about, you're actually not teaching them anything, and you can't teach them anything. Mm-hmm. It's actually impossible for you to teach them unless you give them knowledge to think critically about. And thinking critically about knowledge requires understanding it well and knowing a great deal of it. And so unless you have a knowledge-heavy curriculum, you will never get to critical thinking. Right. And then the other side of that is what Joy was getting into when I interrupted her, which is that um, the schools are public schools as a public service and a public good are one of their jobs is to transmit the culture. It is to transmit the cultural literacy of one generation to the next.
0: To help the little so, barbarians that our children become right, civilized and contributing civilize, adults.
1: Right, to civilize <laughs> our little barbarian children and then also to uh like joy said to be able to communicate um one of his great points that he makes in the introduction and then again through the rest of the book is that uh in a civil society in a society that depends on its citizens so a democracy um a a variety of which we have uh you the citizens need to understand things that other people say in their culture and they need to understand them well Right. And if you don't have the same worse, cultural we literacy, govern ourselves right, we can't govern ourselves. We can't live we together.
0: Can't, <laughs> our,
1: our elected officials can't communicate with us. Mm-hmm. We can't communicate with them. And this doesn't just mean that you have to be smart enough to put words together, but that you have to have the same basis of knowledge, that you have to have right. the same set of ideas. So that when you say something like, I want you to be a more conservative representative for me, there's about seven ideas in that sentence. <laughs> And at least two big ones, conservative and representative. What do those two mean? How do they fit together?
0: And you and the person you're talking to need to share an understanding of what those terms mean in order for you to get your ideas across or even have a discussion where you would say, I think you should do X. And the politician needs to hear X instead of Y or Z or something else.
1: Right. And so all of that plays together. And that happens in every sentence you say that Mm -hmm. has any meaning in it. And Mm -hmm. so to have a meaningful society before we can even get to something like a good society or answering the question what is the good life or how can we live a truly meaningful life just to have a society where we can live together and function (laughs) together at a very basic level you need at least some variety of cultural literacy and his second book gets to the point where the uh, talks about how the um the educational theories that have been promulgated through the 20th century have attacked both the imparting of specific knowledge mm-hmm. and the imparting of a common knowledge
0: mm-hmm.
1: for a different for two different reasons actually but that can and be that, the subject of another podcast
0: well while we <laughs> have been reading this book for our board meetings and so as a school board we get together and we're trying to help deepen our understanding of education so we can do a good job of making our school good and and raising our children well together um so we you know it's kind of a continuing education thing that we do as board and that's, you know, so we've been reading a number of books, um, and this is just the latest on it. But the um, the reason that we picked, I mean, so Edie Hirsch is really an extremely influential person on the thought of American education. And um, he his book came out um, at a time in which um, Americans were really, really concerned about the education of the kids. And they still are. And actually, the problems that he identifies have largely not been fixed. But the thing that I was going to say is, It's really interesting to me. I mean, so, you know, the late 1980s, this is 30 years ago. Um, and as the research has continued to come out, it supports his, it's, it's grown in support of his thesis. He's written more recent books, one just a couple of years ago, kind of proving again, you know, that he was right 30 years ago. But as you're talking about this idea of, you know, sharing something between us, a common ground that we can come together, it's actually making me think how some of his insights are really timeless, you know, because it is socially, politically, Even in in our our, our personal lives, Americans are asking right now lots of questions about how do we even talk to people who have very different ideas? You know, people who, you know, they're fellow Americans Mm -hmm. and we are really at a loss to do that in our culture. And of course, there's many, many reasons for that. But one of them absolutely is the fact that our public schools have not helped us. Um, come together, which, you know, everyone think one of the great r- rhetorical supports for a public education system is to help us have a public, you know, help us have a polity, a people, a citizenry, right, a, a public forum to get together and uh, engage with ideas and, you know, meet each other and discuss ideas and so forth. But Americans are very obviously having a very hard time with that. And one of the reasons why is that um, our public education system has really failed to help us even if we don't agree with each other, at least understand where the other folks are coming from to listen to each other, to see you know, the, the historical context and kind of sources of our, 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 many ideas that we have. But, you know, sometimes we have all these discussions about how lots of Americans are living in, in silos. And we, one of the popular words that we use now is tribalism, so on and so forth. And again, you know, fixing public, ed, public education is only one component of why things are like that. And, and, Sometimes it's a victim of this trend rather than, but it's also a contributor. So I think it's important, I, I mean, to, to revisit his ideas in light of what we see today, we can really understand that he has timeless truths to share that are important for us to think about right now and today and, you know, I think forever.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, he has a great point in very early on in his book that he talks about the the enemies that he is trying to attack here are not the people who run the public education mm-hmm. system. But the ideas that they have that uh, they have sort of agreed to that they they run their schools by, mm-hmm. and that we need to attack those ideas because those ideas are not only not doing the thing that they're supposed to do, right. which is what you just said, but they're actively doing the opposite. And right. we see this pretty more clearly dividing. with uh, their their approach to um, why we wouldn't teach a common set of knowledge because they sure. think that is. Uh, Eurocentric or whatever else and mm-hmm. so they want to teach a variety of different bodies of knowledge mm-hmm. which is actually harmful not only to um, the people who that they're who they're running down in the classroom mm-hmm. but also to the people who are disadvantaged if we want to use that word mm-hmm. um, they are the ones who need a common body of knowledge with their fellow countrymen so that they can move ahead in their lives and mm-hmm. participate in the polity. And uh, have a, a fruitful life. So, uh, the ideas that are the problem are not only not doing their job, they're actually doing the opposite. They're doing, yeah. they're actively harming. And that's, he's really start sounding an alarm bell about that. I'd be a little more harsh than he is, but uh, his calm demeanor is actually probably more winsome.
0: Right. And at his, in the time that he was talking, Dr. Hirsch was really focusing on the economic. A disadvantage that this kind of ed- the fragmented education and education that doesn't have basically give a core curriculum you know it's kind of a way to think about it that doesn't give kids the greatest and the best things that our civilization in the world has to offer them but just kind of lets them silo themselves into niche topics that may or may not connect with anything else anyone of their peers in their neighborhood and their family knows um so he focused on how that you know really sets kids back economically because if you can't communicate to people, you're going to have a very hard time getting ahead in life mm-hmm. relationship wise, you know, you're <clears throat> our recording shit down real quick. But I'm just going to. So, so that, I think, is a pretty good intro to kind of the context and the milieu that Dr. Hirsch was writing in and why it's so pertinent to us today as we mm-hmm. think about what's important to teach kids and how we can raise them to be united and to share, um, you know, cultural ideas, to share knowledge. Um, about what their heritage is so that they can know what it is in order to contribute to it, to develop it, to enlighten it and refine it. So next time we're going to start actually getting into the things that Dr. Hirsch talks about in this specific book we're reading, the schools we need and why we don't have them. So for the Common Good Podcast, I'm Joy Pullman.
1: And I'm Nathaniel Pullman.
0: And we'll see you soon.